This is, uh, to me, this is, again, this is probably the most important chapter, I think, in the entire Bible. And, and there are so many things that I, I think because it is so familiar, there is so many things that we really leave left unaddressed or left unexplored. And to be able to consider this, this incredible conversation that Nicodemus is having with Jesus. And again, as I mentioned to you last week, verse 9, the question, how can these things be? That is the last recorded words of Nicodemus in this conversation. If he said anything else, it was deemed not important, uh, therefore not inspired, if you will. And, and so uh, the Spirit of God did not inspire God, uh, John to record more of these, uh, of, of what Nicodemus may have said. And so he, Jesus answers this question because he's already talked to him about being born of the flesh, born of the Spirit, that which is flesh is flesh, that which is spirit is spirit. Don't be amazed, or as the New King James says, do not marvel. And the wind, representation of the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. The wind that, that, that you hear the sound of it, but it blows where it wishes. You can't tell where it's come from, you cannot tell where it's going. And so it is with everyone who's been born of the Spirit. See, I thought about that last week. Um, after we actually, I taught on it because I think there's even more, more there that that we really can consider. And 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 that is, while there is a sense of predictability based on God's word, while there is a sense of predictability about our lives. I think that the Holy Spirit desires for us to be postured for his work, his interaction with us that really exceeds that sense of predictability, that sense of certainty, that sense of this is the way that life is, that, that life becomes ordered and, and life is, goes on every day in the same manner, in the same way, it's predictable, it's comfortable, right? Most people like certainty. Most people like routine. And yet, I think it is the work, one of the works that the Holy Spirit does in sanctifying us, in creating us into a greater representation of the image of Jesus Christ, which is a spiritual work. This work of spiritual formation is a spiritual work. It is nothing that we do. Now, you, you, might, you, might, you might read several chapters of the Bible a, a, a day, and I think if you do, that's great. And you may pray for hours a day, and I think if you do, that's great. But... The, and, and you may fast, and you may give, and, and you may serve, and you may do all kinds of other spiritual disciplines. But if those spiritual disciplines do not have the wind of God upon them, you're just doing religious stuff. That's all you're doing. And, and, and now I think spiritual disciplines are important. The spiritual disciplines that I do, I do not do them to 
really become closer to God. I do them so that I avail myself to God so that he can do that transforming work in me and bring me closer to him. Does that, does that make sense? Because I recognize spiritual formation is a supernatural process, but the Spirit of God has given us things in his word by which when we submit to them, when we walk in them, when we, we live our lives in accordance to how the Bible has instructed us to live, then the Spirit of God comes alongside of that and, and, and in a sense, grabs a hold of that and does the, 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 the transforming work in us. You couldn't save yourself. God knows a few of you tried, right? But we can't save ourselves we cannot conform ourselves into the image of Christ. Philippians begins in the first chapter, he talks about Jesus, Paul does, and he says, he who began a good work in you. Not, you've really done a good work and you're doing a good job and doggone it, you know. Uh, you might be like James and John and ask to see who's going to sit on the left and the right-hand side. Maybe you'll unseat them. Because the thing is, is the danger, and I, why, I have no idea why I'm going here this morning, but anyway, the, the, the danger of, 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 of instituting a life of spiritual disciplines as important and as necessary as I believe that they are is that if we leave those as the means of our spiritual transformation, what it really does is turn us into a person who is spiritually proud. and it turns us into a Pharisee. By the way, Nicodemus is the Pharisee, right? Coming at night. It's important, I think, to do these things as acts of obedience. And then we just lay them at the feet of the Lord. And say, here it is, I'm, I'm doing it. I, it. Because I'll be honest with you, do, I, I don't always feel like praying. Gee, I guess I'm the only one here, right? <laughs> or reading the Bible. But as I give myself over to those things, I'm becoming more and more convinced, guys, that what the Lord is really looking for from us is a heart of obedience that has been motivated by love for him. A heart of obedience motivated by love. You're not going to pass an entrance exam to get into heaven. All right? God help us if we had to. Could you imagine what that might... Anyway... I don't want to go down that road. It's not a good road to go down. But, but the, the, the thing is, is, is and, and that's why we take communion, is that, that we celebrate, we remember the body broken, we remember the bloodshed, we remember that which Jesus has done for us, and it's only by his work on the cross, dying and then resurrecting from the dead, that we have salvation to begin with, that we have even the capacity to be born again, because we cannot born again ourselves. 
Can't do it. Because I think if we could, this is my speculation. Your mileage may vary. I think if we could, the church would be in more of a mess than it is today. And so you have this religious guy. This religious guy who knew his Bible. Jesus says he's a teacher. Right? He even refers to him as the teacher of Israel. The definite article is there in the Greek. I, I, I wonder how old Nicodemus was when he came to Jesus that night. He might have been teaching before Jesus was born. We're, we're not told any of these details. But normally someone who is identified as the teacher of Israel is somebody who's been around a while. He's given a lot of Bible studies he probably knew his Torah backwards and for, forward. And, and at this rate, we're probably not going to get to it this morning, but he, Jesus is going to take him to Torah in this answering of the question, how can, this, how can these things be? So here you have the teacher who comes from God. Remember, that's what Nicodemus called him at the first part of this chapter. Chapter uh, 3, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Keep in mind, too, this whole conversation, what was prompted because this is at the time of Passover and Jesus is doing signs. Oh, my goodness. And it got the attention of this religious ruler, this religious teacher, who in the course of the conversation that he has with Jesus, he's totally lost. He doesn't understand. How can these things be? Ever looked in the mirror and asked that question? Ever thought about the things that happen in your life? Again, we like certainty. We like, we like patterns. We, we like everything to be nice and smooth. And then all of a sudden that curveball comes. That, that, that curveball comes into your life. Things that, it, it, what's, it, what's the phrase? Comes out of left field. I don't know why left field, but anyway. Things that hit you and blindside you. And you look at these things and, and I've, had, I've, had, I've had the privilege of many of you sharing some of these things with me in your life, and I walk away going, how can these things be? And, and there is so much within the context of our spiritual lives, I think, that is really beyond our grasp. And yet that which we can understand, we are definitely responsible for. Jesus says, unless I, I tell you earthly things and you don't understand them, how can I tell you spiritual things? How can I even expect you to understand spiritual things? 
I'm already over your head, Nicodemus. And so often it is, I think in our lives, if we are very honest about it, there are a lot of things that happen to us. There are a lot of experiences that the Lord allows us to, to uh, um, endure, experience, experiences that we experience, right? That we don't understand. I'm, I'm still waiting on explanations on certain things in my life that make absolutely no sense. And, the word, and, and I've gotten to where I don't even share them with people anymore because I get tired of platitudes and people trying to give me a good spiritual answer, which, which quite frankly leaves me f- feeling very hollow. Hollow, excuse me. What I like about this conversation, again, as I mentioned to you already, Nicodemus is going to show up again a couple more times in this gospel. And what I like about this conversation, if nothing else, and again, I am partly giving this to you based on silence, is that Nicodemus hangs in there in the conversation. He's, he, he knows that he's got a hold of the right person. He just has no idea what the right person is, is even saying. And as I read this, now I've read this and read this and read this and read the Bible, and we have the rest of the New Testament, and of course this is also written from a perspective of from probably the early 90s, maybe even the mid-90s A.D. John wrote, this is maybe the last uh, book in the New Testament that was written. So he, we, we are reading it really from that perspective. But imagine if you were Nicodemus. And you've gone to seminary. Four times now. And you're a teacher. And you see this person whom the Holy Spirit, no doubt, is bearing witness with Nicodemus of who Jesus is. Now, he doesn't, get it all, he doesn't have it all figured out. But there was enough about Jesus that made him come at night and come and talk to Jesus. So that Jesus could just speak over his head. And at this stage of the game, he's more lost than he was before he found Jesus. But sometimes our thinking has to be undone. Sometimes our thinking, our understanding has to be undone so that we are given a heavenly perspective. Proverbs 3. Hopefully you read it a couple days ago. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will do what? He will direct your paths. But what I've found even about that verse, this idea of how Jesus directs our path, how the Holy Spirit directs our path. And I don't know, your, your mileage may vary on this one. How's that? I'm going to flip it on you. To me, it's rarely clear. It's rarely clear. 
And, and, and just when you think you, 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 you've got that, that vision of saying, yes, this is where I'm supposed to go, this is what I'm supposed to do, and you start walking in that, and then all of a sudden what happens? All theological place of eternal punishment breaks loose. And you're like, I thought this was supposed to be the open door. Now think about that for a second. If that's what happens when you go through the door that the Holy Spirit opens for you, imagine what might have happened had you walked through a different door that the Holy Spirit didn't open for you and you tried to force it open yourself. How can these things be? But are you not a teacher? Are you not the teacher of Israel? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. And we testify of what we have seen. And you people do not accept our testimony. So that's the first place in where I get lost. Here is in verse 11. He's, he's speaking first person plural. First person plural, which fascinates me. Could he possibly be hinting at the Trinity? I think he is. There are different views on this, right? There, some are saying, well, it's, 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 it could be the law, the prophets, and the writings, which Jesus spoke about in Luke chapter 24. Have you not read the law, the prophets, and the writings? It's on the, remember, he's on the Emmaus Road, right? And he, he, he's telling them, and he goes, we got this incredible sermon that we're told about, but not, it wasn't written down for us, of where Jesus explained to them and went through the law, the prophets, and the writings. Those are the three categories of the Hebrew Bible, by the way, if you're not familiar with that. The law, prophets, and writings. And for my money, though, I, I think this is, this is more of a reference to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the we here. Um, and I stand in some pretty good company on this, all right? Cyril of Alexandria. Remember I told you I'm going back to the ancients on some of this. I'm gonna, I'll read you a quote. It says, Since he has the Father and the Spirit naturally, the Savior set forth the person of the witnesses in the plural number, so that as in the law of Moses... By the mouth of two or three witnesses, what is said may be established. So Cyril ties this back to Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything will be established. Because the thing is, again, we are looking at Nicodemus here. I think Nicodemus was prompted by the Holy Spirit after observing the signs that Jesus performed in Jerusalem at Passover, that's what led to this conversation. He had already been studying, already been reading. He had immersed, really, it appears his entire, and I don't think I'm taking too great of a leap here, but it appears that he had immersed his entire, entire life in the writings of the Old Testament, which actually speak of the Trinity, but in very veiled senses, but it's mainly that the, the message that the Father gives. So he had already heard these testimonies. 
We read it this morning in Psalm 40, didn't we? Behold, the bulk of the book has been written of me. That's a reference. That's not talking about the whole Bible. That's talking about the Hebrew Scriptures. It's written by the Psalms, written by David. Actually, the entire Old Testament hadn't been written at that time. And so you have this interesting situation here where Jesus then asked him the question, if I told you earthly things, verse 12, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? John Chrysostom spoke on this. And he says, and I quote it, you have not understood, but you have not believed. And so you have this situation here where Jesus did not say to him, you have not understood, but Jesus simply said to him, you have not believed. Now, I became a Christian when I was really young. It was about 20 years ago. Um, I was eight. No. Anyway, longer than that. I was, I was eight. It's almost 60 years. Anyway, goodness. Um, could have I explained to you the Trinity at that age? No. Could have I explained to you the necessity of the blood sacrifice on the cross? No. Could I explain anything or give you the various theories of Jesus' return? Yes, he is coming back, but anyway, no. Could I explain to you that I was a sinner and knew that I was a sinner? Yeah. That was pretty easy when I was, for me, right? Some of you more so, right? But anyway. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that Jesus loved me. And I knew that he would save me and forgive me if I asked him. That was really the context of my theology when I got saved at age eight. That's why I'm saying you don't take an entrance exam to get into heaven. Really basic. I didn't totally understand, but I believed. Which is interesting about kids. That fascinates me in and of itself. I've never met someone under the age of 10 who claimed to be an atheist. It's as if it's innate in us as people, as humans, when we're born and we hear about God, we naturally believe it. I think that's the deep, Psalm 42, deep calling out to deep. The witness of the Holy Spirit did the spirit of our lives. The thing is, is what I have found too, that, and we see this even in the scriptures. There are various levels of understanding. Which really, that, 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 that idea actually kind of bothers me. Because, and, and some of you don't believe me, and then some of you do believe me, and you get mad over it, but that's how it works. 
because I feel like the more I read the Bible, the more I study the Bible at times, I really feel like the really the less I know. Because this, this, these writings, this inspired word is so much more wonderful than I can comprehend. And so I, I, often what I've found, I just have to accept it on faith. And I have to trust that what I'm hearing in interpreting the Bible, I have to trust that what I'm hearing is, is, is that I'm hearing it from the Holy Spirit. But there are various degrees of our spiritual maturity. First Corinthians chapter 3 talks about this, and he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as, as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you are not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. Hebrews chapter 6 talks about, I, I wanted to tell you the deeper things of God, but I have to again, once again, talk to you about the elementary things of Christ. I think heaven is just going to be such a mind-blowing experience for each of us because, because it's then that we're going to be indoctrinated, I think, in those real heavenly things. I don't know about you, but I'm going to find a good seminary in heaven. And I'm going to be a professional, well, I already am, and a professional student. And I'm going to go to class every single day. But what I've even found in that, guys, because there is no entrance exam to get into heaven, I've talked with so many people just various exposures, Christian people, people who love Jesus, people who are saved, people that I'm convinced we're going to be in heaven together. Some of them I'm going to be really happy about. Some of them I'm going to want to, never mind. Um, But our Christian life has to extend beyond that which we know. That which we study. That which we read and heed. Now, is it important? I, already, I think I've already underscored this. I, I, I've already underscored this, I think, a couple of times, but unless you, to, just to be clear, it's very important to read the Bible. It's very important to study the Bible. All I do here is teach through books of the Bible. You guys know this, right? But it can't just be about learning that which has been inspired. James talks about this when he says, he talks about being a doer of the word, not a hearer only, lest you deceive yourselves. And the one who is deceived, he even gives the expression, is like someone who who looks in the mirror and they see themselves and, and then they walk away from the mirror and they forget what they even really look like. Now, I, I, I'm sure I'm the only person here who's ever experienced this, but there are times I look in the mirror and it's like, who in the world is that? It's not that funny. Anyway, 
because in my mind, I still think I'm 25. What a stupid thing, huh? Really? And then I stand in front of the mirror, and it's like, oh, my goodness. What happened to you? You know? Because I kind of forget what I look like. The mirror has a way of bringing me back into reality. I think part of it is we stray from the word. We read it, we heed it, we do it. And then we kind of want to change it around to kind of fit our own order of life. Because we're more into earthly things than we are heavenly things. Or like I spoke to a guy recently, he tells me that every time he reads the Bible, he has his favorite commentator open. And he has to read what his favorite commentator says. And I think there's a place for that. But does not God want to speak to you from his word and maybe not have an intermediary all the time? Some of my favorite, I actually do have favorite sermons, right? Okay, they may not be yours, but so what? I mean, no, sorry. <laughs> I got to take that one back, huh? They may not be yours, but sometimes my favorite sermons are ones that I never crack a book other than the Bible. And it's like, wow. And I'm amazed at some of the things that the Spirit shows me. I'm not amazed with my own intellect. I also... <laughs> I'm getting older and slower. I mean, I'm sorry. It's the way, I mean, we're all kind of in that boat, boat, so to speak. But I'm amazed at some of the things that the Spirit shows me. And then there's like, gosh, is this true? Because I have also, as I've told you in the past, I've met many people who say that the Spirit has told them this, this, and that. And the reality, it violates everything that the Bible says. So who's right here and who's wrong here? When a guy tells me he lays on his bed and he's, God reveals these things to him, and I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, it, it, it doesn't even, bless you, doesn't even line up at all with my understanding of what the Bible teaches. Because sometimes it is the Spirit of God, and sometimes it's that, uh, those tacos that you got the night before. And we have to be careful. That's why we are to walk circumspectly, as Paul tells us, knowing that the days are evil. Because we are not as spiritual as we think we are. And we are not as spiritual as everybody else thinks you are. But the reality is, we have this incredible person, God, the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us, who bears witness to us. And I don't always hear him well, all right? I don't mind saying that because I'm convinced you don't either, okay? I don't always hear him well, but I am attempting to listen. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church as we read that seven times in the second and third chapter of the book of Revelation. 
if I tell you heavenly things, or excuse me, earthly things, and you don't get it, how in the world are you going to understand heavenly things? And then he says, no one has ascended. I'm going to finish in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. This fascinates me as well. Because everything that Jesus brought with him, and what do I mean by that? Everything that we see recorded in the four Gospels, everything that we read about in the book of Acts after the ascension of Jesus, because after the ascension of Jesus and then in the book of Acts in chapter 2, 10 days after his ascension on the day of Pentecost, what happens? The Holy Spirit then descends, which in, I don't know how long, it'll be quite a while, but when we get in later in the book of John, we will talk about how Jesus says he will send us a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit who was sent by Jesus and the Father, who eventually inspires Paul and inspires Peter and inspires John, and we have the fullness of the New Testament. And as we read these things, we recognize that everything that Jesus has brought with him is brought from heaven, is heavenly. Even though he brings it, often brings it down to us in more of an earthly context because we, have, we really do have limited capacity. And I wonder, I'm going to think out loud and that's dangerous. At times though I wonder if the Holy Spirit only speaks to us in such a way that we can understand based on our capacity to understand spiritual things. And then at times exceeds that because he is stretching us and he's causing us to, to wanting us to grow. Boy, I, I, again, I, and this is where I started this, this morning. I hate it when things happen in my life that I can't figure out. Don't we all, right? Don't we all? Some of you are right there right now, aren't you? And it's like, would you please make it plain to me? That's one of my prayers. And you know what I get? It seems often. What I'm getting right now. And I don't understand that either. Why is God so quiet? Why does he not answer my questions when I want them answered? (laughs) Why am I still asking about things that happened 10, 20, 30 years ago? I'm I'm hitting some things for you guys right now, aren't I? You can see it on your faces. 
But perhaps it is because maybe I don't understand earthly things real well and then how in the world am I going to understand some of these heavenly things? But I know this. Heaven's going to be great. I already said this once, right? Heaven's going to be great because then we will know as we are known. We will know as we are known. We will finally be in a place to handle what Eve could not handle, what Adam could not handle in the garden of Genesis chapter 3. Because the day that you eat of this fruit, you will know both good and evil. And you will be like what? Whom? God. Eve was tempted with greater spirituality. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? For good reasons and bad reasons. We get tempted with greater spirituality. And perhaps what Jesus is attempting to do here with Nicodemus, although I didn't see this until just right now, perhaps he's attempting him attempting to slow him down a little bit and to try to get him to gain some greater understanding of what has already been said that becomes foundational where Nicodemus can then have the Holy Spirit begin to build his life even greater into the image of Jesus Christ. And perhaps sometimes God is really just wanting to slow us down. And that sounds very unappealing, doesn't it? To me, it sounds unappealing. Teach me the lesson, let's get it over with, and let's bring on the good times, right? That makes great sense to me. And I don't know how many times over the years that I have prayed that prayer in some form or some fashion. But what struck me about that is that I have to be careful. Now, this isn't always the case. I don't think this is always the case. I promise I'm going to be done in a minute. This isn't always the case, but I think sometimes when I pray that type of prayer, I'm really trying to get God to do what I want God to do. And therefore, who becomes God? Little g, by the way, okay? We try to become God over God. Because here you have this one who was a teacher. He had spent his entire life teaching. He sees this guy who has to be from God based on the signs that he has done. And he can't figure him out. He doesn't understand what he's saying. And sometimes that sense of unknowing can become the very threshold by which the Holy Spirit begins to teach you spiritual things. 